Good morning. Somebody's awake today. Time change ain't going to slow her down. Today, uh, I want to start with uh, the same place we started a couple of, of weeks ago because I mentioned a book that I had read some a couple Sundays ago that many of you all got a kick out of. So I brought it back today. The book is called How to Do More of Just About Everything. Um, here, are, here are some more of the titles of, of some of the 1,001 articles that are in here. These are real step-by-step how to do these sorts of things. How to survive in the ocean. My thought is if you, at the moment you realize you need to know how to survive out in the ocean, this book's probably not going to do you any good. How to bribe a foreign official. I'm pretty sure that is a crime, but you could find out how to do it in this book. Uh, How to bid at an auction is in there. Uh, How to recycle old crayons. How to sing the blues is in this. There's an article about how you could go about learning to sing the blues. Here's a good one. How to determine if a horse is sick. All right. If you need to know how to determine if your horse is sick, check this book out. And finally, and believe me, I'm never going to read this article, How to Get a Cat to Play With You. <laughs> I'm never going to care about getting a cat to play with me. Uh, I've had this book for six or seven years, and, and the more I look through it, the more I realize there's stuff in here that I, I flipped through all these pages, and yet... I don't remember seeing most of these titles as I go through it. And as I was looking again, once again, through this book this past week, I realized something else. As many of these articles as I have read, and as long as I have had this book, I have never once attempted to do any of the things in this book. I've never once used any of this information to actually do anything new, even though that is the point of the book. It's not how to get more information on just about everything. It's how to do more of just about everything. And yet, you know what? Never done one of those things step by step. I just like to look at, look at it and enjoy the reading. I believe that's a great deal of how some people in the church view this. How a lot of people view the Word of God. We believe that in this book are the inspired words of God, and we view it as important, even critical to our lives. But when it comes down to it, we fail to obey what it says or to really use it for any kind of real application in our lives at all. We believe it. We may even know it but we don't live by it. For a lot of the church, this is full of really good ideas that the church needs to know, but no, I don't actually practice it. There's a disconnect between knowing it and living it. Two Sundays ago, we talked about the church's witness in this world in which we live. Our sermon was called, How to Destroy Your Witness. 
we looked at the issue from John, uh, 1 John where he says, what is the church supposed to look like? In a world full of darkness, what is the church supposed to be and what is the church supposed to do as it holds out the light of Jesus Christ into this dark world in which we live? But the reason that the church has such a witness problem, if you want to call it that, is that many people in the church will hear these words, will hear what Scripture says, what John says, what Jesus says about what his followers should be and do and how they should live. And instead of applying them to our lives, we just hope that the rest of the church was listening when that sermon was given that day. Because for many of us, there's a disconnect between knowing it and using it. Knowing it and actually applying it into our lives. You see, it's a difficult thing to do, don't get me wrong. To see the evil in the world, to see the struggles of the world, to see the fact that we live in a world that seems not to care whether or not the church has an influence or a voice or a witness at all, to figure out how do we not fall into the sin of the world, but how do we go out with the love of Christ and love the world, I understand this is a difficult endeavor. It is much easier said than done. How does the church hold on to its witness to be a church of love and holiness Especially in a world that just doesn't seem to care what the Word says. Or what God has to say. And you know what? Today, to some people in the church, that has been treated as a lost cause. Some people within the church have looked at what the church is supposed to be, whether or not the Word says it. We look at what the church is supposed to be, and then we contrast it to the reality of the evil in the world, and you know what we say many times? We say, this is too difficult to actually be able to do. And what the church is doing, the problem we're going to look at today is this, perhaps the church has lost its hope. If you're following along in our notes on the back of the bulletin, that's where we start today. Perhaps in all of this what the church is supposed to be in the world, I believe much of the church has lost its hope. The first line with notes in it on the top of your sheet is this. The people of God can be tempted to lose hope when we're faced with the evil of this world and the trials of life. The people of God can be tempted to lose hope when faced with the evils of this world and the trials of life. You see, today the truth is this. Many, many in the church are losing hope and losing heart as to the work that they're supposed to be doing according to the work of God and according to the work that Christ called His church to do. Because of the evil in the world, because of uh, the trials we face every day, Many of the church are losing heart and they're losing hope. And today we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. 
If you've got your Bibles, turn there in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to look at a man of God among all of the prophets of Israel, uh, a man who was doing the will of God in a powerful way, and we're going to see a time in his life when he loses his hope. Look along with me in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 9 as we start today. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under that bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 9, And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The next line in your notes is this. Even after great spiritual victories, Elijah reaches the low, po low point of his ministry. Even after facing great spiritual victories previous to this point, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Elijah we see here at the low point of his ministry. In this moment, Elijah, arguably one of the strongest and most powerful prophets of God in all of Scripture, loses his hope. Elijah is living in a time where the people of God, the Israelites have abandoned the truth and turned their backs on God. Israel at this time, you see, was led by an evil king named Ahab. And many of you equally remember his evil wife, Jezebel. These two had turned to worshiping uh, the gods of Baal, the gods of Ashtoreth, and the rest of the false gods that pagan nations worshipped around them. And so, because of their leadership, God's own people, Israel, was being led away from God and deeper and deeper into evil. In fact, Jezebel, the wicked queen, is now killing the prophets of God. She's putting them to the sword so that no one will stand against their evil leadership. And in the midst of all of this evil and wickedness among the people of Israel, stands Elijah. Elijah is a prophet of God who's trying to do what is right and trying to preach God's message in a culture who frankly just doesn't care. 
Sound familiar? The culture, even the people of Israel, even, is, even the people among God's people, culture among God's people has turned and no longer cares what God has to say. In fact, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Elijah has just witnessed a great spiritual victory upon Mount Carmel where God has just sent down fire from heaven. And the false prophets of Baal at Elijah's command were put to the sword. And yet, when Elijah gets back to Israel, guess what happens? There's no change. This mountaintop moment for Elijah has not brought Ahab or Jezebel or the people of Israel any closer to God and any further away from pagan idolatry. In fact... Jezebel has now vowed to take Elijah's life like she has the rest of the prophets. And so in this moment, Elijah, the prophet, has lost his hope. When we find him in chapter 19, the great prophet Elijah has run away and he's asked the Lord to take his life. I'm afraid that you and I are seeing some of that same sentiment in the church today. You see, we believe in God and we hold to His Word, and yet when we're faced with the evil in this world around us, and when we're faced with the trials of everyday life, we've lost our hope that things will ever get better. We've lost our hope that we can be effective as followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what a lot of the church, the modern church, ends up doing instead? They, they try to speed on and anticipate the coming of the Lord and pray that God would return as we sit on our hands and just wait for God to come straighten this whole mess out. But until Christ returns, He's got work for His church to be doing. And we cannot be despaired at the evil we see in the world and let it cause us to lose our hope. And so today, we're going to look at the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to discover how the church can go about losing its hope. Once again, it's a how-to message. How to lose your hope. And hopefully, this will be a wake-up call for much of the church today to see what is the church doing that's causing it to lose its hope. So let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 9. And this time we'll look at verses 8 through 18. And this time we'll follow, this, this passage will we'll follow what we just read. 1 Kings 19 verse 8. So he, Elijah, got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And also anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. The great prophet Elijah is facing his rock bottom down in the pit moment. And if the prophet Elijah who saw such incredible things in his day from the hand of God, heard the voice of God, if the prophet Elijah can grow weary of doing what is right and standing on the side of right, then so can the church. And so is the church today. And I believe the church's witness is lacking in the world that needs so badly to see it, that needs so badly to see the light of Jesus, because in some ways and in some bodies, the church has lost its hope. So today I'm going to make it easy. i got five answers, five things you can do to lose your hope. You ready? If the church desires to lose your hope, by the way, I'm being facetious and I hope you do not desire that, but if it did, here's what you do to lose your hope. Number one, lose sight of what God has accomplished in your life. You want to lose your hope and stop being who you're supposed to be? Lose sight of what God has accomplished in your life. Look at Elijah's state of mind after Jezebel threatens his life. Verses 3 through 4 of 1 Kings 19. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And then look at 1 Kings 19, verse 10. By the way, this is something that Elijah says twice in two different places. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And now what? And now I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too. You see what Elijah's problem is here? 
he has allowed himself to focus only on the darkness of the situation he faces right now. Let me make that clear, because this is what a lot of people in the church are doing today. There are storms and trials that will face you in life. That's a truth that you and I can't escape. This world will bring with it suffering and trials and pain. But you can choose two things. You can choose then to look only at the storm that is surrounding your life. But what that allows you to do, what that causes you to do, is to lose sight of everything that God has done to this point. Focusing only on the storm that is in front of us will cause us, and it caused Elijah, to lose sight of everything that God had done to this point. Even though God has just brought Elijah in just the previous chapter to what we've just read, He's just brought Elijah through one of the greatest victories against the prophets of Baal in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Let's look at that briefly this morning. 1 Kings chapter 18, start with verse 36. And again, this is just a handful of verses before where we started reading this morning. At the time of the sacrifice, Elijah and the prophets of Baal are on Mount Carmel. I won't read the whole story. The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all the things at your command. Answer me, Lord, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it also licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. If this wasn't enough, Elijah's on Mount Carmel. Elijah sees the fire of God fall from heaven, defeat the enemies of the prophets of Baal. He, at his command, these prophets of Baal are put to the sword. And what happens then? The people of Israel fall down and worship God. And if that's not enough, if that's not enough of a sign of victory from the Lord, look at what happens in verses 45 and 46 of chapter 18. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started to fall, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Tells us earlier that he's in a chariot. Verse 46, And the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. If it wasn't enough to get spiritual victory and the actual a miracle from God on Mount Carmel, then God's Spirit comes upon Elijah so that he can run past Ahab in his chariot all the way to Jezreel. And yet, after such an astonishing mountain-high kind of a moment, a few verses later, we find Elijah before God saying, it's not worth it. Take my life, Lord. 
we find Elijah in despair after God has done miraculous things through the prophet Elijah. And so the question today is this, how does the church lose its hope? How does the church become discouraged and convinced that it can no longer make a difference in the world in which we live? The first step is to forget all the things that God has done in our past. As a kid, and, and you know how kids and parents are. Parents don't really share a lot of the troubles of their life and a lot of the behind the scenes, what's really going on with their kids. But as a kid, maybe as a teenager, I remember a couple of times where my dad was faced with a situation that was pretty difficult to deal with. And I remember my dad sitting us kids around and saying these words, God's going to take care of this. And if the issue of why, if the question of how do you know that ever came up, you know what my dad would say? Because there's not been one situation our family's ever faced that God has not kept His Word and that God has not been good to us. But see, if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of every victory God's pulled us through, if we lose sight of every time we thought we were that that was it, and God has, has pulled us back out of the pit, then the only thing we're going to be able to see is the immediate storm that is right in front of us. And the church will be discouraged. And the church will lose heart if we don't look at what God's done to this point. So let's look at another. Number two, how does the church lose its hope? Convince yourself that you are alone. Want to lose your hope? Convince yourself that you are alone. In verse 3 of chapter 19, we're told that Elijah has left his servant behind in Beersheba. And from that point on, he spends the rest of his journey alone. And more than that, more than being physically alone, Elijah believes he's alone in doing God's work. Again, let's look at verse 14. This is one of the two times that Elijah says the same thing to God verbatim. Look at what he says. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And then, what does he say about himself? I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. If we were to take Elijah's situation, Elijah's rock bottom moment and, and clinically diagnose it in 21st century terms, we'd all agree Elijah's facing a, a good amount of depression. In ministry terms, he's facing what, what, what most of us call burnout. Elijah is on the verge of burning out. And it's much, let me tell you this, it's much easier to burn out when you've convinced yourself that you're all alone in doing what is right. Maybe, maybe that's how you feel at your workplace. Maybe you work at a place where you feel like it is you versus everybody else on standing on, on the right side of issues. 
Maybe in your family. Maybe your family and all of your extended family is the only family that, that believes in Jesus Christ. Maybe in your community. Maybe in your neighborhood. Maybe in a classroom setting. Whatever the case may be, it's much, much easier to lose heart and to lose hope when you've convinced yourself that you're alone. But look at what God tells Elijah when God speaks. This is the last verse of this passage we read earlier. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18. God says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah says two times to God, I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. Nobody else is standing on the side of right. The whole rest of this world has turned away from you, God, and I am by myself in this. And what does God say? God says there's 7,000 more people who have yet to bow down and worship Baal. What's God saying? You're not alone, Elijah. You're not the only one standing for what is doing right. Standing for doing what is right. You're not the only one on the side of right here. Maybe you do feel discouraged in your workplace. You know what? Maybe you are the only Christian person in, in the place in which you work. Maybe there's nobody else in your family who doesn't think you're nuts for what you believe. Maybe you feel outnumbered and you feel alone. Look around this room. Seriously, turn your head. No, I can see that you're not turning your head. So turn your head to the left. I can see you guys. Then to the right. You are in a room of people. Are they perfect people? No way. Not a chance. And yet, for the most part, you're in a room of people who believes what you believe and desires to stand on the side of what's right. Do not lose heart because you think you're alone. Why did Christ give us the church? Why didn't he just say, find salvation and forgiveness in me and you can just do whatever you want to do? Or just, you know, live the rest of your 80 years and then just come find me in heaven. No, he gave us a church to be a part of. And not so that we can just come to meetings on Sunday. But so that we would not be discouraged. Because you know what will discourage and break down the church? To think that we're the only ones standing on the side of what's right. Look around you, church. And not just at Nineveh, look at the other people that are, that are doing the same thing we are on one of their only days off of the week. People that believe is the voice of, of, of evil all the more present than it ever was in the, in the media and in culture and in politics? Absolutely. You think this is the worst it's ever been? Elijah is preaching to Israel when even the king and queen of Israel are, are worshiping false gods. Elijah wasn't alone and neither are we. What can you do to lose your hope? Number three, make no effort to encounter God. Did you notice what Elijah does here before he encounters God at the mouth of the cave on the mountain of God? If you didn't see all this, it's, it's a lot of running and exercising going on here. After running for his life, well, first, he runs alongside that chariot all the way to Beersheba. 
Then Elijah hears word that evil Queen Jezebel wants you dead. And so he runs for his life uh, from Jezreel, rather, to Beersheba. And then he travels another full day into the wilderness, lays down, exhausted in the desert. But that's not it. Did you notice? 1 Kings 19, verse 8, after that, and after God strengthens him with food, it says, so he got up and he ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. You see, eventually in, in this low point in Elijah's life and ministry, God will speak to him at the mouth of the cave in the gentle whisper but not before Elijah travels for 40 days and 40 nights to reach the mountain of God. Most people think this journey would have been about approximately a 150-mile journey. And in that 40-day, 150-mile journey, can you imagine the time that Elijah would have had to think and to pray as he traveled to meet God? Can you imagine how much time Elijah had to think about the situation that we, he was in and whether or not God was going to pull him out of this? Now let me ask you a question today because God in this moment was preparing Elijah for what was next. And in that 40-day journey, Elijah experiences God and encounters Him. So let me ask you, when's the last time that you really made an effort to encounter God. Think about it. Out in the desert, Elijah is completely undistracted by everything else that had been troubling him. Jezebel is nowhere to be found. The prophets of Baal are nowhere to be found. For 40 days and 40 nights, he and God are walking along this journey. God was preparing his heart and mind to encounter him. When is the last time that you separated yourself from the distractions and the busyness of this world around you so that you could truly encounter God? Or are you giving him 10 minutes of your quiet time before the kids get up and make it anything but quiet time in the morning? Or have you given up? You know, people say, well, you know, we used to do a devotion together as a couple and then we just, you know, just was her schedule and my schedule and we just couldn't make it work and we never had a night where we were both there. When is the last time that you on purpose made an effort to encounter God? That you stripped everything else away and focused on God and encountering Him? Do you feel discouraged? Then go back and look at what was the last time you, you just stopped so that you could experience Him. That's what Elijah does here in this moment. He encounters God because he made an effort. By the way, does Elijah finally, does he end this chapter in the same way he started? Does he leave discouraged? No, God brings him out of this hole. God lifts him out of this, but it's only because he made an effort to get away and to encounter God. Let's recap so far. How do you lose your hope? Lose sight of what God has accomplished in your life. 
Two, convince yourself that you're alone. Three, make no effort to encounter God. And four, stop listening when God desires to speak to you. Stop listening when God desires to speak to you. Let's look at that moment, that at the mouth of the cave moment when God speaks. 1 Kings 19, 11-13. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? As a minister, I get the opportunity to observe the people of God quite a bit. And there's one thing that I think is clear from observing God's people today. It's this. We are much, much, much quicker to speak than we are to listen. We are much quicker to speak than we are to listen. That's why there's so much infighting among Christians. Go look, go look at, at Facebook where somebody has go look at Facebook where somebody has posted um, a, a, a religious topic, political topic, whatever it is. Why why are Christians out there butchering their witness out on social media. You know why? Because we, we speak much, much quicker than we listen. Is that true? Am I just preaching something I don't know what I'm talking about? No, we're a lot quicker to speak than we are to listen. Do you listen when God desires to speak to you. Or when you're faced with a storm and when you're faced with this raging suffering or trial or whatever, temptation, whatever the case may be, you can't shut your mouth because you've got the answer that will solve it. Or you know what you're going to try to be able to get out of this situation. Or you're pretty wise and you really have a lot of things to say. Church, we've got to just stop talking and we've got to listen when He wants to speak to us. And I don't necessarily, I don't mean audible voices. I don't mean you're woken up from a dead sleep because you hear somebody saying your name. Believe me, if that happens, if that's the Lord, listen. But I'm talking about through His Word. These are the words of God. That's what we call it. And, and, and so we, we think we know better. Or we think we don't have to listen when God speaks through His Word or through godly counsel or through uh, the wisdom of others or through a, a message or a sermon or whatever, in whatever way God desires to speak into your life and into your situation. When God desires to speak to you, do you have ears to listen? 
Or do you already know what he's going to say? You already know how this thing's going to go. And really, you've, you just might as well go ahead and be the one talking. Is the church discouraged today? Is the church losing its effectiveness and losing its witness in the world? Has the church lost its hope? If the answer is yes, then in those situations, here's where I'd have you look first. Are you making an effort to encounter God? Are you listening when He speaks? Or are you trying to do this on your own? You want to lose your hope? There's one more thing, and we'll close with this today. How do you lose your hope? You forget that there is still work to be done. See, Elijah had got so caught up in the trouble that he was facing that he had forgotten one key truth. He's laying down under a broom tree, or broom bush, or whatever that is, and he's laying down and he cries out to God to take his life and just end this thing. But he's forgotten one key truth. God isn't done with Elijah yet. And that's, when God, that's what God reminds him of when he speaks on Mount Horeb. So far, God said two things. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Twice. Elijah gives his complaint. Elijah says what's bugging him. And then you notice what God says? Look at God's reply. Verses 15 through 18. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Anoint also Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint also Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And, Haz and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You know why Elijah didn't lose hope here? He did, but not, not for good. You know why? Because God wasn't done with Elijah yet. God eventually, miraculously, supernaturally swoops Elijah up into the sky in a chariot of fire. But you know what? Not yet. Because God's not done with Elijah yet. I'm going to ask Chad and the band if they'll come out as we close today. And today as they do, I want to encourage you in this church. I want you to think on this issue of losing your hope. There's still work for the church to be done. I believe that the return of Jesus Christ is very real, and I believe that it's coming soon. But I also firmly believe that until He returns, there is still work that God has for His church to be doing. I really see a lot of people in the church who are faced with the wicked and the evil of the world and they've resigned themselves to sitting on their hands and just waiting for Jesus to come back and just clean all this up. But until He returns, His church is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. His church is, is to be the light that might, guess what? It might save some of those wicked people before Christ returns.
You know why Scripture says he hasn't come back yet? Because he desires that no man would perish. But how will the world know the truth that will keep them from perishing if the church is not being the light of the world? If the church is not standing like a city on the hill? And how will the church be that witness if it's lost its hope? Church, there's still work for us to be done. And so today, maybe you're discouraged. Maybe every time you, you, you turn on the news or turn on the computer, you just, you're faced with the evil of this world and you're faced with, with what in the world, can, where can we go from here? Until he comes back, God's still got work for his church to be done. You're not alone. Don't be discouraged. Today as the invitation is open, maybe he's calling you to... to some spiritual decision today. Maybe simply for the first time in a long time, he's just calling you to listen when he speaks. The invitation is open today as we stand.